Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on September 14th, 2014. Today's message is titled, The Ten Commandments, Who's Number One? by Dr. Lyle Schrag, and it's based on scripture, Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. Would you pray with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, as we gather in this place, we have sung words of praise and worship. We have lifted your name on high. And yet, even as we do that, Lord, we do confess within our hearts that as we come into this place, we come with certain expectations. And we do confess, Lord, that we live in a world that has that has set those expectations. For there are so many times we come to you seeking an edge, an, an edge toward success, an edge toward substance and and, an edge that, Lord, would benefit us. And yet, Lord, out of all of the seeking of our heart, we would see you. And out of the abundance of the promise of Scripture, having sought the kingdom of God, Lord, all these other things shall be added unto us. And so, Lord, we humbly set ourselves aside even now that we might be able to recognize you for who you are. And that, Lord, in that setting of a side, Lord, we are saying, your will, not ours. Your purpose, not ours. You, Lord. And in obedience to your claim in our lives, we give ourselves to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, we might be moved according to your grace and used according to your purposes. This I pray, Lord, in the powerful name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Now maybe it's a sign of my own personal age that I've become a little bit nostalgic for the good old days lately. You know what I mean? You know, that sort of feeling that when I was a kid, things were so much different and so much better. Uh, as I was opening a portion of scripture with you this morning, the, uh, the Ten Commandments in Exodus, and look forward to sharing it with you over this fall, I think you'll agree with me that times and things are different. Let me give you an example. When I was in grade seven, I had a math teacher who was as tough as nails. And one day she accused me of cheating on a, on a, on a quiz. By the way, I did not cheat on that quiz. Just wanted to make sure that was clear. In any case, she accused me of it, and for punishment, she came up and plopped a great big Bible on my desk and told me to look up the Ten Commandments and then to copy them down 100 times. Now, since she was a math teacher, um, I, 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 I thought and I asked her, I said, well, now, wouldn't that make something like a thousand commandments? Cheeky little monkey, aren't I? So I ended up having to write them down 200 times. Uh, 2,000 commandments. Now, everybody's so serious. I thought it was pretty funny. You know, I, anyhow, so I, so I, so I, I wrote, and, and as I wrote, those words really became implanted in my, in my brain, the Ten Commandments. Now, I say times are different. Can you imagine today a teacher in the public schools even thinking about doing something like that today? 
And to a large extent, we have, in fact, wandered a long, long way from the core and basic principles that make up, really, the fabric of life. A couple of years ago, Newsweek magazine reported that only less than 40% of Protestants and Catholics could name even four of the Ten Commandments. Another survey revealed that the vast majority of people aged 15 to 35 couldn't name any more than two of the commandments. And what's more, those surveyed actually got angry when they were told what was in the rest of the commandments. How dare they be there? That's why I, I chose really now for this fall for us to study the Ten Commandments because it's time really for us to get back to the basics. While Reginald Bibby, a studier of, a student of, of Canadian Christianity, reported in his book, The Restless Gods, that Canada is undergoing a surprising renaissance in a belief of God, there still, however, remains a significant degree of ignorance in our society and even resistance towards anything about belief that, in fact, could be considered solid or enduring or true. Several years ago, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, and some of you may have listened to her radio show, in a book that she wrote on the Ten Commandments, she related a story about a TV talk show host who is a priest called the Soul Man. In an interview, he asked a lady if she went to church. No, she replied. There's too many rules. I believe in God, but not all of those rules. I just love the priest's reply. Well, now let's see. Do not steal, do not murder. Huh. Who can take that kind of pressure? <laughs> the fact is, I believe these Ten Commandments have proven to be the enduring fixed points of ancient truth from the eternal mind of God that are stamped like what one writer has said, the embossed numerals on a watch dial. Onto the conscience of every man and woman, they are a part of what we are as human beings, and when we hear them, we recognize them in our innermost being. They are right, they are true, and they are relevant, not just to our faith, but to our world at large as well. Now, there are some who reject the Ten Commandments as being irrelevant to Christianity. They see it as a matter of law, something inferior to grace, something that belongs only to the Old Testament and no longer is binding for us who live in the New. It's as if taking the Ten Commandments serious would threaten to set, us, set the Old Testament above Jesus Christ. But the fact is, Jesus answered that thought in full in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, by making it clear that he came, what? Not to destroy the law, but to do what? Fulfill it. That is to make it possible for us to live with the power of the Holy Spirit that would help us take these truths to heart. And then in that, become all that God meant us to be and live lives of meaning and purpose the way God meant us to live. I love the way Bill Mill, a Presbyterian pastor in California, put it. He said, the person who says that he doesn't need the Ten Commandments is silly. I, I like that word, silly. It, it's a good one. Because if he, if he says, all I need to do is love God, how does he know what to do unless God tells him? That's a great line. 
How does he know how to love God unless God tells him? And he goes on to say this. Listen to this one, guys. I would love to see a guy try that logic successfully on his wife. If I truly love my wife, she will tell me how to love her in a way she wants to be loved. It is simply not smart, silly. It is simply not smart enough to make it up as I go along, is it? I guess the bottom line, if you want to get us, uh, make sense of the Ten Commandments, think of it this way. It is God's way of saying, if you claim to have a relationship with me through Jesus Christ and really want to know how to love me and enjoy me, here is where to begin. Which brings us to the beginning. Now you find that last. Actually, it's in two places. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open to Exodus chapter 20 to the very beginning. You heard it read this morning from verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Settle once and for all who is number one in your life, in this world, over the heavens and the earth. Who is number one? Who is God? And until that is settled, you really cannot nail anything else down in life. It is the first and most important issue that you and I will ever have to settle in our lives. Who is God? In an earlier age, in the last century, A.W. Tozer, a pastor in Chicago, he put it this way, and I love it comes from his book, The Presence of God. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind shows that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. For this reason, the gravest question before humanity is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any human is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he is deep in his heart as he conceives God to be like. And then he makes this the money quote. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental understanding of God. There is something very bold in the way the Ten Commandments begin in Exodus chapter 20. If our faith is we're like any other religion, we might expect it to read, Thou shalt believe that there is a God. Instead, God just strides right, right, right past the uncertainties of atheism and the ambiguities of agnosticism, and then he announces his presence. He, as we read it here, God spoke. I am the Lord your God. And with that we make the first of a number of discoveries just about who God is. The first discovery is that he is the one who makes himself known. The idea that God reveals himself is really critical to our understanding. It says in Scripture that we are surrounded by clues of his existence. In the Psalms, Psalm 19, we read that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we read that God has set eternity in the hearts of humans, in us, in you, and me, in the hearts of man. But then when you read on, you find something more. We read on and says, and yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The idea that God reveals himself is absolutely critical because you and I are so frail and finite that while we can sense his presence and pick up on the clues, we would never know who he is or what he is like unless he himself made himself known. And so he speaks. And he gives us a name. I am is his name. I am. That word itself is the pure definition of existence. I am the one who defines existence, and in that, he gives us a sense of belonging, or better yet, a sense of purpose and of life. Discovery number one, he is the one who makes himself known. That's what we find at the very beginning. Discovery number two, he is the one who fills life with purpose. Each word here in verse two packs a punch. I am the Lord. Now, some people view God as this some distant deity, someone who created the universe and sent it spinning into motion, and then sat back and just watched it. Distant, disconnected, uninvolved, maybe even possibly disinterested. Someone who couldn't care less. But here, it carries the name Lord. And that speaks of, of present management. He is the one who is in charge the president, the prime minister, the one who accepts the responsibility for operations and actions. And note, his interest isn't just on the things that are high and mighty. It is extreme in its its focus. I am the Lord, your God. Not just the one keeping the the, the planets spinning in their orbits and and the cosmos running according to a plan, but also the one who cares to be your as well. Now, I can imagine that, that, that many people here might understand a little bit more as it goes on to talk what about means to be the name, uh, to, to be your God. And in case you don't believe it, ask yourself the question, which is answered in, 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 in the next part. He is the one who brought you out of Jesus, uh, Egypt. In other words, he cared for you. Now, I can imagine that many people here have experienced something like, may, may not have experienced something like the parting of the Red Sea or being brought out of Egypt, but I have to believe that there are enough people here who know without a shadow of doubt that the Lord is their God and is the one who, in fact, brought them out of the place of darkness and brought them through something as traumatic as the parting of the Red Sea, has brought them out of a place of darkness and trouble and the valley of the shadow of death, The Lord has been your God and has brought you out of a lifestyle of pain and danger. I have a story, you have a story, and when we pray words like gracious heavenly Father, it's the truth. He is heavenly. Awesome and and, and eternal and omnipotent, but not so distant that he isn't also Father. Close and caring and compassionate with a wonderful plan for our lives. I do like repeating that. I've said that before, haven't I? What does he want us to know about himself? What He wants you to know him. 
And so he reveals himself and he wants you to trust him because he has a purpose for you. And there's one more thing. He wants us to rely upon him because he is the one and the only one who is capable of saving his people. Discovery number three. There is a word for those who are freed from slavery, even as the children of Israel were freed from Egypt. In the Oxford Dictionary, its definition is to free a people from captivity or punishment, and usually by paying a ransom, and the word is redeem. And if anyone is tempted to think that the Ten Commandments is all just about law and that there is so little grace, they need to hear what God is saying here. I am the Lord, your God, and your Redeemer. In essence, when you were a slave, helpless, captive, and condemned to your fate, God says, I am the one, the only one, willing and able and capable of setting you free. Why? Because it is his choice. And he loves you. It's no accident that God referred back to the way he had proven himself in saving his people before giving them the Ten Commandments. He wanted it on the record as an eternal reminder that he is by nature a redeemer. And not just for these tribes. We read that of us as well in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned, far beyond just the tribes in captivity. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it goes on to say justification is a gift by his grace through the redemption, the ransom which is paid, which is in Christ Jesus. Now this is all just from the first two verses of, of Exodus chapter 20. We haven't really even gotten to the command yet. This is just inter God introducing himself. This is God calling. And, and the normal human response to a call is to ask, well, what can I do for you? When God calls, the response is a little bit deeper. What do you want of me? Should be our response. I have to believe that when he chose this unique introduction to make sure that anyone who would read these words that would take them to heart, then would recognize him for who he is and be prepared to give themselves to him for what he wished to do. The creator of the universe, the author of life, the lover of your soul, your heavenly father who has every intention to set you free to become the man or the woman he meant you to be from the beginning of time, intends to set you free and keep you free. And if you get that straight, then I believe the commandments will now begin to make a lot of sense. Far from being there to cramp your style, the commandments help release in you what God meant you to be. He really does love you, and he really does have a wonderful plan for your life. In an earlier age, Charles Allen put the Ten Commandments into the same perspective when he wrote this. Listen carefully, I love this. Shortly after Moses led the children of Israel on their journey to the Promised Land, God called Moses up on Mount Sinai. He must have said something like this. Moses, your people are now headed toward prosperity. The land which I have promised them is rich and productive and will supply not only their needs, but so much more. In fact, the land flows with milk and honey. But Moses, people cannot be made happy and successful merely by the possession of things. The way they live is more important than what they have. So I am going to give you ten rules for living, and I want you to teach these people these rules. If they live by them, I promise they will be blessed. 
deeply within. Now, if you are willing to accept that, then here's where you begin. Commandment number one, verse three. You shall have no other gods before me, God says. Now, that just stands to reason. Being the Lord your God, it's an exclusive claim, isn't it? It doesn't allow for any competition, and it doesn't leave any room for negotiation. If anything, it demands a moment of pause and a time of reflection and an exercise of assessment where you then get busy to clear away all the obstacles that get in his way. I find it interesting that in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word here, before, does not mean instead of. As if God is absent from the picture and some minor deity sitting on the throne that needs to be toppled. No, God is forever on his throne, whether you like it or not, but there are any number of pretenders who seek to elbow their way between you and God and distract your attention and get, as it reads here, before him. It, it means not before in absent of, but before as an interference of. And so the question really is, who or what gets in your way as you look to see God? Martin Luther said, whatever thy heart clings to and relies on, that is properly thy God. Let me repeat that. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is properly your God. I changed the thys so you can understand. Now that sounds so formal. Let me break it down. Of whom or what do you find yourself thinking about in your moments of free time? Let's be honest. Most of us don't have much free time to think. We're usually consumed by tasks and responsibilities and conversations and deadlines, whether we're at home or at school or at work. But there are precious few moments of isolation where our minds have the freedom to go where they wish and focus on whatever we choose. And at such times, the question has to be asked, where does your mind go? To whom or to what do your thoughts automatically turn to when they are free to roam? Where does your mind settle? On your job? On your girlfriend? On your boyfriend? Whose opinions cause you your greatest concern? Who are you trying to impress? What are you trying to win? Where does your mind settle when you are at rest? On your investments? On your accomplishments? On your passions? Your obsessions? Your recreation? Your pleasure? Where does your mind run when it seeks fulfillment? The answer to that question will reveal the real gods in your life. The ones seeking to elbow their way between you and God and stand before him. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, he invites you and me to a moment just like this, here and now, to sharpen the focus of our lives and make a very righteous decision. You'll find that moment of decision throughout the fellowship of the saints. One of the most uh, spectacular of them all was the one that that happened with Elijah, uh, the prophet Elijah, when he faced off against the, the, the priests of Baal in 1 Kings 18. And you know the story, that showdown on the mountain and the fire that came from heaven and the question that 
that he raised. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If if Baal is God, the one who stands before God, then follow him. I, however, will call on the name of the Lord. Listen, the person who, who truly has no other gods before the living God usually finds his thoughts swing around until they finally focus on God, almost like like the needle of a compass, until they find true north. They are aware of their desires. They are aware of their ambitions. They are aware of their friendships. But they also learn that only one thing matters most, that there is only one God, and he is foremost in their life. People who obey and apply the first commandment learn to be God-pleasers, focused on him, and then free to live lives that are pleasing to him. I love the way St. Augustine put it. He said, love God and then do what you like. (laughs) I love that. Love God and do what you like. Because having put him at the center of your attention and your affection, having sought him first, all other things shall be added unto you. Life itself. People who obey and apply the first commandment learn to be God-pleasers first and foremost. And this morning, I, I have to begin with all of this thing by asking you to make up your mind. Will you be a first commandment believer? Some people take the, the time to answer the critical questions. Do, do I, is he Lord? Do I serve him faithfully? Do I love him deeply? Do I honor him exclusively? These are the questions asked of a first commandment believer. And regularly finding themselves asking those questions, they also find them themselves sealing their decision in prayer and saying something very much like the prayer that was penned by John Wesley, which formed the core of the daily commitment of the early Wesleyan movement. The prayer he prayed was, Holy God, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or laid, brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. This I pray in the name of the Lord. Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful prayer to be prayed every single day. So in obedience to the Lord your God, the one who loved you and gave himself for you, would you join your hearts together with me as I pray this prayer for all of us? Would you pray with me? Holy God, we are no longer our own, but we are yours. Put us to what you will. Rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed by you or laid aside by you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let us be full or let us be empty. Let us have all things or let us have nothing. I 
we freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. For you are God. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant that we make in this place, the covenant that we make on earth, the covenant that we make in our worship, the covenant that we make in our hearts even now, let it be ratified in heaven. This we pray in the powerful name of the Lord our God. Amen.